Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hello and welcome to Nonprofit Everything, a podcast where we answer your questions about everything nonprofit. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm Stacy Wedding. And uh, let's get started. Hey, Andy, here's a great one for you. We have been inactive for our tax year. Do we need to file with a 990EZ form, just be zeros all the way through? We don't and have never claimed any assets or anything, nor do we have any grants. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> the answer to that is yes, you have to file. Um, you don't have to file the 990EZ, though. You'll have to file the 990N, which is called the postcard. It's just an informational return. You don't there's no information that it takes on it other than like your EIN, your tax ID number. Um, it'll take you all of about three minutes to do. Um, if you don't do that, the IRS will take away your uh, nonprofit status. You'll actually lose that. Mm-hmm. If somebody looks you up, yeah, if somebody looks you up, they won't be able to find you. And so you'll, you'll have a hard time getting started. Um, also, they can make you start over from the beginning and have to start by doing the, the 1023 over again. And you don't want to do that. You know, none of us, how many of us know this when we get into nonprofits? This is the stuff that I go, it's easy to just assume that, oh, you know, we had no revenue. We had no activity this year. We don't need to do anything, right? I don't think that's a bad assumption. I, I can see where someone would, would assume that. Oh, yeah. And yet you go, this is the kind of stuff that really trips people up. It should, though. I mean, the, the, it shouldn't be easy. I, my personal opinion is it's way too easy to start a nonprofit. Oh, I agree. I think a lot of the people that do start nonprofits don't realize how much work it is. Um, so, so every little tiny thing that the IRS yes. makes you do to keep your nonprofit open, to make you do the bylaws right, make sure that you keep your state uh, business license and all those other ridiculous seem, things that seem ridiculous, I think those are all fantastic things. And it really should weed out the people that aren't really serious about it, that just thought it was a... Absolutely, right? It's a pipe dream and some flip idea that someone gets excited or is really passionate about, but thinks this is a side project and there's a lot to it. Yeah, there's a ton to it. Yeah. Good question, though. Yeah. Okay, here's a question for you, Stacy. Our board wants to provide financial incentives for our executive director. Do other nonprofits do that? Is it normal for nonprofit executive directors to get bonuses for things like hitting fundraising targets? So this is not quite a simple answer, but the bottom line is bonuses are permissible. I think what organizations have to think about is that you want to look at the overall compensation for an employee, making sure it's reasonable and fair. How do you do that? Well, there's, you can look at other, you know, look at other studies out there, compare benchmark on other 990s of peers, uh, nonprofit compensation studies, that kind of thing, and making sure there's a process in place, right? Have you found that before when you, in past organizations you worked, how you guys sort of benchmarked and compensation? Yeah, well, the, the IRS is specific about the executive director piece. They want to know exactly how you set the salaries for the top executive, and they give you some examples. They say... Uh, do you have a contract? Is there, do you use um, comparative information? So there's a couple, of, they give you some hints about the kinds of things that they think is you should do. Mm-hmm. I think the bonus is what people sometimes, I was working with an organization the other day and uh, 
they didn't want this high salary on their 990 for their executive director. And so they said, well, let's try to get around that by bonusing them. What they're not realizing is there is still a page on the 990 for bonuses that shows overall compensation and the fact that it's still carefully scrutinized by the IRS to make sure is is this providing any kind of private benefit to to the individual or to the executive receiving the bonus? And when you get into the fundraising piece, that gets really dicey because those of us who know about AFP, Association of Fundraising Professionals, know that one of the kind of rules of thumb or guidelines from, from AFP is that you don't base it on, um, you know, sort of a pay for performance, a percentage of a grant, right, or a finder's fee for that for that new donation you got. And I don't think a lot of organizations get it because it's very different than a for profit model. Oh yeah, if you so if you're in a for profit organization, you're gonna be based on sales. You're, right. Some of your you can get a bonus based on sales and uh, nonprofits specifically, it just feels icky because I think, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, I think the the perception from the board members is, um, I don't want you raising money for your own salary. That mm-hmm. seems like something you should be raising money for the mission and not for yourself. And, and that's where they try to draw the line. Absolutely. And I've gotten asked, I mean, there's some pushback when you talk to boards about some of these issues. Boards want to understand, well, how do we reward performance? And there's a lot of ways, just like you do with any employee, to reward performance. Uh, tying it directly to you raised this many dollars, which could be a fluke. What if you got some bequests that year that came in and you got half a million dollars that just fell from heaven right. that had nothing to do with your own ability? That really isn't performance space. That was someone before you, right? A predecessor who put that in place, sure. if, if there was. So there's all these nuances to it and making sure there's no self-gain. Because I think it's easy, none of us like to admit this dirty little secret, but it's easy when we know maybe we could get more money out of something, right? It's easy to fall into that trap of starting to look at our own self-interest more than the organization's best interest, the donor's best interest, what's best for the mission. And so I think that's, I mean, that's where AFP is coming from. And I totally get it. I just also think that it's hard for people from the for-profit sector struggle with this immensely. Yeah. So, okay. So we've told them all the things not to do. What should they do? Well, what do you think they should do? Well, we talked about the Comparative information. So you want to find comparative information. If you want to provide a bonus, that's a totally legitimate oh, thing. Oh, totally. So I was, I was doing work for somebody recently, and um, 38% of executive directors are in some sort of bonus system. Mm-hmm. So if you mm-hmm. have – so that's 38%. That's a pretty big number. That's mm-hmm. not all, but that's mm-hmm. a chunk. Um, so bonuses are legitimate. You just have to make sure that you're basing it on the right thing. So you look at the strategic plan and you've got some mission metrics that you want to hit. Like you want to serve a certain number of people or you want to provide services of a particular quality. So you set them up to be graded on those kinds of things and they hit those targets rather than revenue and fundraising targets, which are kind of icky. And I think that couples with executive directors are really a different type of uh, performance evaluation than a typical employee. If you're an executive director, you're evaluating an employee. 
it may be everything from, oh, punctuality to attendance to, <laughs> right, what what is your workmanship and did you complete A, B, and C project? Whereas executive director, I think boards struggle with how do we even evaluate someone that we're not seeing their performance every day, but it's not about performance every day. It's over the long haul, like you said, with strategic plan. What are the larger goals? What are the annual goals that perhaps that executive director and the, the organization have set for the year ahead? Uh, staff retention, I've seen people look at, at that kind of thing, um, you know, looking at all sorts of metrics, programmatic outcomes. So there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different variables. I think bonuses, just making sure it doesn't become an expectation on employees is an, of employees is another thing because I have seen too many people that get into their bonus every year instead of um, having a salary increase. And it becomes almost this, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a bonus this year. And so there's no, in, no, no incentive about maybe extra performance or going above and beyond, which is really what a bonus is entailed to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, a lot of it depends on the relationship between the executive director and the, and the board, too, because yeah. some boards... You know, some boards want, they think their executive director is fantastic and they want to continue to reward that person. They recognize that there's a, a practical upper limit on how much money they can pay an executive director in a nonprofit position. Um, so, so they try to come up with creative ways just to be able to give that person more money every year, no matter what. So yeah, it kind of depends on what you're, what you're going for too. Next question. I want to start a business that trains pets and pet owners. It's going to be a for-profit, but I want to support local pet charities too. My idea is to have people make donations to their favorite pet charity, and then the charity would pay us to do their training. That way they can get a tax deduction and the training both. I don't see many other businesses doing this, which makes me a little nervous about it. Is there something I'm missing? Yes, there's something you're missing. <laughs> the, and, and the reason it's, it's yeah, actually... Yeah, that was kind of harsh, isn't it? <laughs> right. It's like, that's a pretty good clue. Like if nobody else is doing it, either either it's illegal or you're a genius and the chances are it's just illegal. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So so what's going on here is is you, you want to give people two things. You want to give them a tax deduction, but at the same time you want to provide services for them. And some of the, one of the rules about getting a tax deduction is you're not allowed to get anything in exchange for it unless it's something they say call it a de minimis value, which is like a coffee mug. So if I give somebody a donation and they give me a coffee mug back, great, I still get the full value of that donation as a tax deduction if I want to claim it on my taxes. If you're getting anything other than a coffee mug and it has any value at all, you can't actually claim that as a tax deduction. Um, this is, I had this conversation earlier this morning and confused someone um, <laughs> to no end. They're having an event and it's a fantastic event and they're providing food and entertainment and actually an open bar. And the ticket prices are $150. And I was explaining that they needed to they need to explain to their donors that most likely, actually not most likely, 100% chance that none of their donation is going to be tax deductible. So the ticket they pay for this event, they're not going to be able to right. take it off their taxes. And they didn't know why. And I said, well, because you're giving them food and entertainment right, right. and and an open bar. I, mean, I can get to $150 in an open bar yeah. like in no time. Yeah. So um, <laughs> most people can. Um, <laughs> So, so, but they said, but we didn't pay for any of it. 
And I go, well, okay, that's not the rule. The rule is it has to have no value. So you have to give something someone that doesn't have any value um, based on the fair market value. It doesn't have anything to do with how, how much you paid for it or how much you were able to get people to donate. So that value thing is the tricky part. And in this case, what you're, you're, the business you're trying to set up is you're trying to give somebody a tax deduction and you're trying to give them pet grooming or whatever it was. Um, and, and you can't do that. The the fun thing is, is if they do, if you do do that, like even if you didn't know it was wrong and you still did it, the IRS is going to come down so hard on you. They're not only going to take all of the money that you made doing that, they're actually going to hit you with an additional penalty that's about twice as much as the money that you made. Ooh, so it's, yeah, ouch. It's, it's a terrible idea. So oh. absolutely don't do that. You know what surprised me years ago when I was working in an organization and we were helping someone put on a golf tournament? One of the things we were looking at the value of goods and services provided and that you know, all of all the things we're talking about here. And one of the things I learned from um, a legal, legal expert at the time was that even if, let's just say you sell a foursome, right? Or you, someone says, yeah, I want to do a foursome for whatever, you know, let's just say a thousand for easy math, right? So I'm going to do a foursome for a thousand bucks for easy math and then doesn't use it. It's still, they bought it with the intent or they quote donated uh, with the intent that they were going to use it. And that also counts against them because they can't take a tax deduction. Now, there's some people who say, oh, how's the IRS going to really know all this? I just say, don't mess with it because none of us want to get in that situation and none of us want to get audited. But some people kind of cross that line a little bit. So. Yeah. And, and so I think that's a great point. As the, is the IRS going to find out? And to be honest, the IRS probably isn't going to find out. But it's up to you to determine what kind of organization you want to be in. Do you want to be in an organization that like finds all the tiny little things that the IRS isn't going to find out about and then cuts all those corners? Or do you want to be in one that's actually following the rules and doing everything the right way? And I, I suspect that donors are going to prefer you to be the ones that are doing everything the right way um, so that even if the IRS isn't going to catch you, you still need to be doing it the right way. That just sends a, a, a you know, your board members should lose their minds if they find out that you're, well, we didn't have, we were supposed to do it this way, but we're not because it's saving us a little bit of money and I don't want to, I already sent the letter out to the donor, and so I don't yeah, want to send him yeah. another letter because then I'll look like an idiot. So no, look like an idiot and do it the right way because then you're going to have, you know, it's going to pay dividends later, I promise. I also think there's an assumption with this question that there's money falling from heaven in the nonprofit arena. So here's this person that says, I set up a for-profit business, right? I've got my own business. And yet I can maybe get money through this nonprofit angle by having donors give money to the nonprofit, get their tax deduction, and then the nonprofit engages my firm for services, which is a, I've heard this come up so often, people figuring out how can they make this good for them, right, and benefit them and their company, and perhaps help, you know, from a charitable standpoint too. But the reality is, is that it isn't something that's usually that easy to get the money from the nonprofit, right? There's not grants and money falling from heaven to engage your services in pet training for this example. I mean, <laughs> right. I wish there were, right? So <laughs> right. there is, there's also kind of, let's do a reality check here about 
does this really exist? I mean, it sounds all good and dandy, but yeah. You have tried this reality. I have no idea how you're going to convince the charity to do that with you. So, you know, you're like, here's what I want to do. I want them to give you money, but then I want you to turn around and give 90% of it back to me (laughs) or whatever it is. And the most charities are going to go, that sounds hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We already don't have enough time and now we're going to try to help you you too. Yeah. Oh, it's a different question, but you know, the, the number of people that come up to you when you're working for a nonprofit and come up with some fantastic fundraising idea that they want you to participate in and then get really disappointed when you tell them, I'm sorry, we just can't do that. Absolutely. There's there's not enough. Thank you. We really appreciate you coming to talk to us. Yes. I can't do that. That's exactly not going to work. Right. I am a 25-year-old who is the director of a nonprofit. I'm seeking advice because I didn't expect to hit the director level at this point in time, having graduated from college three years ago. I still have a ton to learn about myself, as well as a lot of professional development ahead of me, but I'm not sure what my potential next steps are from this point on. I love what I do, but I also think that I'm most effective in roles where I'm not actually the leader or primary decision maker. I prefer the advisory consultant role. What options are out there for me? What should I be doing now to make the most of my current opportunity? What do you think, Stacey? Well, first, kudos. I love hearing um, young go-getters and people who actually are looking to, you know, just better and increase their knowledge and better themselves. I'm a believer in lifelong learning. So yay for this person. Awesome. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of ways to look at this. Um, I'm a believer in kind of getting out there and doing it. So while this person talks a little bit about how they prefer the advisory consultant role, I'd be curious to know what other kinds of roles they've played and have they had to be a key decision maker or have they been able to be both a leader and more of a follower because we need to be both at all times, no matter where we are at, you know? Sure. So I'm a little bit more, I'd encourage this person to really try wearing a bunch of hats at different times and maybe different stages, whether it's within their organization or even in volunteer positions, because I think it's the way you learn what you like, what's sort of a natural strength of yours, how you build that, uh, and how you kind of grow that. What do you think? Yeah. I, it, so sometimes nonprofits, I, I like to think that some of them are a little bit like like World War II movies where like you go in, you're just 18 and all of a sudden everybody in your platoon gets blown up and you're a sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. um, Yeah. So, and I've seen that happen in nonprofits too, where, you know, you're, you're the grown up, even though you're, even though you're only 25, you're the one that's shown promise and everybody above you is no longer there. So guess what? It's your job now. Um, That's, that's a cool position to be in. And being in charge means that you get to sort of set everything. You get to decide what the direction of the organization is. You get to have lots of lots of control, um, which is interesting because usually the question is phrased the other way. Usually it's um, people that are go-getters that are in larger organizations that feel like management has been there for a million years and there's not a whole lot of upward mobility for them. And, you know, I'm never going to get to be executive director here because, the lady that's in that role has been there for 26 years and she's going to retire when she's 97 and I'm never going to get to do anything other than what I'm doing now. And the typical advice is exactly what you said, which is go figure out everything about the nonprofit. If you haven't done fundraising, go do fundraising. If you haven't done finance, go do finance. Right. It's your your world is available for you and that's, this is the time to take those opportunities. Um, so in this case, you know, what should you be doing now to make the most of your current opportunity is like recognize how lucky you are to yeah. be in this current yeah. opportunity. Set a path. Be very clear with your board. Sit down with your board chair if you have a good relationship with the board chair and say, 
you know, just you, have, you may not have noticed this, but I'm 25 and I don't feel like I'm like seasoned enough to actually run this organization. So what do you think? And have that, you know, have that heart-to-heart conversation. If you've got a good board chair, they'll be able to tell you, you know what, you're right. We put you in this role because, you know, there's nobody else in town that wanted it. Or, you know, we really think, you know, we've got your back and it's up to you to sort of set the direction and the speed at which you want to go. So take that you know, quit whining about it. Quit asking us. So some of what, <laughs> totally, and some of what I appreciate about this person's position uh, is a parallel to my own life. So when I was in, um, when I was about 25, I at the time had worked at uh, a local foundation and had been named after the president left unexpectedly, had been named the interim president. I'm 25. I'm, I've only been there six months. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly we do as an organization, <laughs> right? And now I'm like, holy cows, I'm in charge of managing um, three people who at the time were all senior citizens and trying to figure out what it means to interact with the board and all those things that were kind of first time things for me. And for me, um, my goal was at that time not about because I was in an interim. I'm like, this isn't about total explosive growth, but it's about how do I maintain and teach myself along the way. So it turned into a lot of reading, a lot of professional development that I was lucky enough that the board allowed me, but it was picking up the phone and calling colleagues in similar industries, yeah, right? Good advice. Yeah. What a huge resource that was. Yeah. And so I learned from them and listened to their mistakes and tried to avoid them. And, you know, I definitely had my own hiccups along the way, but it was, it almost was a position where I kind of almost felt thrown into it which this person may feel similar, (laughs) right? And then you kind of, you either sink or swim. And what a cool opportunity, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, I'm sure this is probably something that's going to come up over and over in this podcast is that people love being asked for their advice. So anytime you have the opportunity to call somebody that you think is at a different level than you and say, hey, you know, I'm having this challenge and I know you've been in the business for 120,000 years or whatever, you know, could you tell me what you did right? And people are like, they get so excited. They're so excited to share everything with you. It's a great way to to make friends. It is. (laughs) Everyone likes being the expert. Collecting items for a silent auction, one of our volunteers got a huge painting. I don't think anybody <laughs> is going to buy this thing. Uh-oh, you're laughing. Uh. And then this this question goes on to say, it's enormous. I don't even know how we're going to transport it. Now what? Oh, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. It is too late, baby. Too late, baby, now. <laughs> no, I just like, so... Um, at a previous job, uh, there's something, not the same thing happened, but something similar happened where uh, someone donated a painting. Um, and it was horrible. I mean, it was an, a really ugly painting. And we knew, so the development team knew that nobody was going to bid on this thing at the auction. And they're trying to figure out what to do with it. You don't want to give it back to the donor at that point. Um, and what, I mean, the right answer is uh, you're stuck with it because the volunteer accepted it. You, know, you're, <laughs> yeah. you have two options. You can either figure out what to do with it. Um, you can put it in the auction and nobody's going to bid on it. <laughs> the transportation part is hilarious. I'd, I can't recommend I have no oh, idea God, what I know, to tell right? you about that. Try to get a pro bono truck driver, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. And if it, I mean, if it really is like, so so maybe it's a famous painting. Maybe it's a really, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. it's worth a ton of money. it's subjective, right? Painting it's, and art is subjective. Uh-huh. And there's, there's, I mean, they didn't ask this question, but there's very specific rules about how you can determine the value of a piece of art. There's a special box that you have to check on the Form 990 about did you accept any art? 
Um, or do you maintain a collection of art? Oh, so you have to have, you know, you have to have a, a, an actual art appraiser come in and tell you how much it is. You don't get to just take the word of the donor. You don't get to make it up. Oh, it's a jillion dollars. I'll write that in. Um, so there's a lot of extra work that comes with it, which comes to the point, which is you need to have um, a gift acquisition policy. You need to have a policy in place that says this is what we will or will not accept. And it actually needs to say very bluntly that we reserve the right to refuse any donation. Um, and then you can list out the kinds of things that you're definitely going to take a look at, like works of art, real estate, real estate yeah. um, a house, uh, something, something like a horse. <laughs> like it's, you know, we always have those, those conversations oh, with, yes. with, with, uh, I mean, it's because this was a volunteer that accepted it. You probably also need to look at like when volunteers are act, out soliciting, donations for silent auctions that they might need a little bit of training or they need to have like a staff liaison, somebody that understands this because, you know, what if, what if they had said yes to a horse, you know, Oh, we've got this fantastic racehorse. And I'm sure the volunteer, (laughs) and you know what? I'm sure the volunteer with all good intentions thought, cool, I got an extra item or something we didn't even expect and came back with it. Yeah. 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 So the, so the volunteer needed to be trained on the, on the outset. So, I mean, you're, you're, to be honest, you're stuck with it. You need to figure out what to do with it. And you're going to spend a lot of money getting it appraised so that you can determine how much money just sits on your books because you can't ever get rid of it at a silent auction. I have seen people in situations that are similar to this, not identical, that have actually, through some means like this, ended up contacting the donor and perhaps had another idea or idea of how they could use this or how it could benefit them in some way and explained it to the donor saying, we actually have something we think would even be more powerful with this painting, you know, and whatever. Let's say that it was actually something decent or something you wanted to hang in your office or somewhere that needed a piece of art. Um, Being able to come up with an alternative and explain to the donor perhaps why that could be valuable. And I think um, some donors are okay with it because what you run the risk of when you have a painting like that or something you know isn't going to sell at a silent auction is the donor gets insulted when they call back and say, or if they're there and they see that no one's bid on it or... God forbid, if it's a live auction and it goes for nothing, (laughs) uh, right? And then someone's insulted. Or if it was something that their child created or that they created, (laughs) God help us, right? There's nothing worse. I have to say, just the other day I was at an event and, you know, they had the artist making the art on stage and then standing up there. It's the most painful process because you feel that person's vulnerability so much. Right. what do you do? Are they banking on that Are awkwardness? They, they, right. they want you to feel the, uncomfortable I so that someone think bids. maybe they do. It's but a terrible anyways, thing. With that said, the other thing I was thinking maybe they could do here to make a lemonade out of out of a lemon is that uh, is there a way to bundle the painting with something else? So perhaps you we've all been to the auctions or uh, raffles or things where it's a package deal. Mm-hmm. So is there a way to take something that's not that great, like perhaps this ugly piece of art, and then put something a little more enticing with it. Uh, you know, one of those paint your own art, you know, art piece classes for a year or something <laughs> else you could, and, and make it look better than this, uh, but something else you could package with it. Uh, you know, perhaps just to kind of soften the blow a little bit for the donor and for your organization. That's a toughie, though. It's about having that infrastructure in place. Yeah, it's yeah, about that knowing, knowing the policy and at the at the outset. And once you once you're stuck with it, you're stuck with it. Yeah. yeah. But the bundling idea is a good one. I think at one point I worked with an organization. We were donated a golf cart. I'm on a little electric golf cart, hmm. and 
And we were also donated some golf clubs and we were donated um, some rounds of golf. So we bundled that all up together. It was a good way to get rid of a golf cart because nobody was going to bid on a golf cart. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, I have to just tell this this funny, embarrassing story. So I had a, a gift certificate somewhere that had unfortunately had a little damage. It had gotten bent a few times in the drawer or whatever I had it in. But it was a, what I thought was a great gift certificate. And I went feeling good and I, I gave it to a, a, a charity, their development director. And she looked at me and she said, I love what you're trying to do, <laughs> but I can't actually put something like this out because it doesn't look nice. So are you okay if I use it for a staff incentive? And I said, sure. And then I was embarrassed thinking, how in the world did I miss that? But yeah, good point. And there probably were workarounds with it. But the point is, is that just being honest and forthright with me about it, she was super thankful and appreciative, but said, hey, where we could really use this is in this way. And I was like, cool. So I also think figuring out uh, if if you don't have policies like that in place. How do you how do you work with a donor like that to make it a win-win for both people? Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in to Nonprofit Everything. Uh, for Stacy Wedding, I'm Andy Schurich. Please check out the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. Uh, their webpage is allianceforNevadaNonprofits.com. If you have any questions, uh, there's a podcast button. Click the podcast button and then ask us a question there. That'll get to us and we'll try to answer those in future episodes. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.